you've joined the BMX Video Club, rewinding back to our favourite films of the 1980s. My name's Rich Nelson, and tonight I've entered Rambo 3. Watching it with me is Simon Smith. Hi, Simon. How are you? Hi, Rich. I'm very well. Uh, thank you for coming back for the final of the Rambo trilogy. Uh, the most expensive film ever made at the point of this film's release. Why, why, why have you brought Rambo 3 here tonight? I, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I, I think because I enjoyed Rambo First Blood Part 2 so much, it, it seemed apposite that we should sort of conclude the Rambo films of the 1980s and, and, and sort of box this off. Um, usually you'd ask me what's special about this film to me. Nothing. <laughs> Absolutely. I, it's so bad. We should have some fun talking about it. It's such a bad film. It's so bad. It's, it's shy. Yes. We'll give it that. Um, I think we, we were talking about off air. We, uh, we talked about First Blood Part 2 back in, back in the spring. And I think that obviously showed, you know, with, again, this is the evolution of the character of John Rambo. We've gone from, you know, PTSD suffering Vietnam vet being bullied by locals. Um, he's turned into a completely different human being for Rambo 2. And at this point, I mean, it's it's beyond parody. I mean, Rambo First Blood Part 2 was its own beast. Um, and in this, they've given a budget of $63 million um, and spent a fifth of that on buying a jet for Stallone as a essentially a salary. I mean, we, I've said last night we should have probably watched watch Hot Shots Part 2. It would have been more fun. I mean, <laughs> this, make no mistake, this, when Rambo First Blood Part 2 is on ICV4, I will watch it because it's 90 minutes, and we, we've just, we talked about this before, it's tight, it rattles along, and as preposterous as it is, it's a really decent action flick. Um, and Stallone could have... And this, I mean, this is a one-hour, 40-minute slog. It's just, it doesn't work. It's sloppy. It's messy. It's awful. Yeah. <laughs> I think we, we, we've talked about, you know, we're texting over the last few days about it, and there's so much in it that promises a lot. I think yeah. the, the opening sequence in Thailand, when you've got Richard Krenner as Troutman is back, Kurtwood Smith, we know as Bodiger from Robocop, just the year before this is at this point sort of embassy almost a henchman goon type person and they're hunting for rambo around as you do these tie bare knuckle stick fighting unlicensed bouts it's like walking around a set of snatch but in thailand and that is the involvement of kurtwood smith I think me, it's, yeah. it's quite a strong opening, isn't it? And you mm. think you're going to get... It, I mean, it becomes clear from the opening that they're in Thailand, which is where John Rambo finished First Blood Part 2. So he's obviously mm. stayed there and they're looking for him. What I like about this is they're looking for him using a photo that hasn't been taken yet. <laughs> because they're holding up a black and white photo of John Rambo with the new, slightly longer, shaggier perm, which we're yet to see in the stick fight. And he's wearing Coe's necklace, fair enough. Hmm. But he's wearing the denim shirt that he turns up in Peshawar in Pakistan in about 40 minutes' time. 
And the photo is literally taken from the second he walks into the shop with all the limbs, but they're using it to find him in Thailand. And, 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 and that's the kind of sloppiness that you're dealing with continuity-wise in this film. I mean, when you look at the films in history that have got the biggest budget and what they've done with them, and I mean, we'll, we'll use, say, Titanic as an example, as, okay. you know, this is what, nine years after that. And you think about the lengths that James Cameron, let us not forget, co-wrote of First Blood Part Two. Jim Cameron was involved in Titanic, as he has been with Avatar. It's become yeah. an obsession. Everything is done to the nth degree of the detail he, he's done. He built half a ship. He mm. literally built half of it so that he could reverse it. And, and it was like, no, we're going to build it. Actually fucking build it. And I don't think anything was left unspared with no. that. You know, everything was left it, on the screen. Something about the mahogany was the same grade as it was on the staircase. And it was, I mean, they, every, but what, what you'd say about Titanic is every dollar ends up on the screen, doesn't it? Mm, yeah. If this was 63 million... 25 million of that's on the Learjet that Stallone got, and probably the remaining 40 million is probably kitting that Learjet out with cocaine. Yeah. Because it didn't end up on the script. Or they paid so many extras, so much money, it, it just doesn't work as a movie. And I, I, we'll come back to I mean, as we go through it as a story, and we'll, we'll work out why. And it, it kind of teases. There's a lot of little bits that could work in a Rambo film. and tease you to thinking oh it might step on a little bit here but doesn't yeah that's the biggest disappointment for me with this film i think one of the issues i had was when you go through it and again we've got we open with this fight with stallone fighting the fellow who looks like aquaman with a couple of sticks in a warehouse and I, you know I put, um, <laughs> he looks like he's fighting a titty twister vampire from Battle dawn <laughs> Shame is not Selma Hayek. Um, yeah, would have been more entertaining. Yeah. And there's this stick fight, and it is, it's like watching a Rocky film in this well, little scene. Peter McDonald shot this with a handheld camera, didn't he? Which is what got him the film. Because um, Stallone liked the rushes from this stick fight. And you can see why, because they're basically glistening muscle shots, Stallone. The, 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 the perm in this one has reached ludicrous levels of Europe's final countdown, isn't it? And you've got the head turn with the three scars present from the previous films. He's got the, the scar from the arm from falling through the tree in First Blood. And now he's got the scar on his face where Burkhoff did him with the knife. So Stallone, again, has got a little bit of the continuity of the character going in there. And then you get this handheld stick fight. Six, it's, it's six minutes long, the stick fight. Uh, it, it does feel a little bit like Underwater in Thunderball, doesn't it? It goes on a little bit too long. There's a bit too much grunting and a bit too much almost, you know, when, when we've talked about Rocky films in the past, that the fight, that the film builds up to a fight there, whereas here it opens with a fight. It's a, it's a quite a cold open. Yeah. Where you go straight into this where you're not quite sure about the stakes. All you know is about Rambo is he's, he's lost it a bit. But it, all, it also doesn't fit the storyline coming up in that Rambo's supposed to now be fixing wagon wheels and building... Um, Buddhist monk temples, yet we open with him literally beating a man to death with two nightsticks. So when he when he says, no, I don't want to choose that anymore, I don't want it, which we've got coming up in the next 20 minutes, it already doesn't fit. So it's, it's almost like a built-in continuity error right from the start. And it's not, it's not really, the thing you can say about Rocky fights is they're really well choreographed. Hmm. 
this isn't. It, it's just a bit crap. Well, that's the thing when you compare it to Rocky Four, which I'll happily talk about Rocky Four forever. The fight in there with Dolph Lundgren, you know, realistic to the point where Rocky uh, Stallone was in hospital. Stallone went to hospital, week. didn't he, with two broken ribs and a punctured lung because Lundgren yeah. caught him. Because he said, you know, we want it to be realistic. You've got to hit me. Yeah. Whereas in this, it's I'm Sylvester Stallone. You're not allowed to touch me. And that's the problem. Mm. That's exactly what it feels like for this whole film. I suppose, as you say, Peter McDonald, um, when I looked at his IMDb credits, I mean, it, the thing that immediately jumped out was he was the director of Never Ending Story 3, which, uh, as far as I'm aware, I don't think they went to Thailand and had people kidnapped in Afghanistan or anything. I, can't, I don't remember seeing it, to be honest, but he's obviously yeah. the, one, the one you bring in to finish off as a trilogy. M- McDonald's stepped in and taken over on a couple of films, isn't he? he- there's, a, there's another big 80s action film that he ends up with the director's credit for, a little bit like Ron Howard with um, Solo. Mm. So he, he's not, he was always a second unit director um, and he, he kind of got promoted because the first director, Stallone fired the first director because of course he did. <laughs> so apparently the only thing that's left of the film that was shot before Stallone fired the first director is Troutman's um, apprehension by the Russians. Mm. In that that scene was shot before Stallone fired the first guy. It did name, look vastly different. But it, it looked like it, mm. it, at that point, felt like a Rambo film, didn't it? Yeah. That, that was fa- fairly believable. The helicopter comes down. But what they seem to do with this is is every time we get into a bit of trouble, they stick us a helicopter on screen. It's airwolf. So where are we? We're at the stick fight, aren't we? The really yeah, so the stick fight. And, fight. and I've always straight, I mean, again, yeah, maybe I'm I'm thinking now it's it's 2020. Where's the health and safety? I mean, it's amazing how close the crowd are getting to these sticks. There's a couple. It's almost like you need some random, like in the Naked Gun, some fat woman falling out and crushing someone towards the end. I, I would have liked to have seen something, you know, where where we had that parody in Hot Shots Part Deux, where he's putting his these sort of bandaged up gloves in the trays. You know, I mean, I. That's there for a reason, but it's not. Well, sure. yeah, that must be a parody of something. From the point that um, Kurtwood Smith and Richard Crenner walk out of the US Embassy to the end of the stick fight, it's about seven and a half minutes, and the mm. credits are running this whole time. And it feels like padding, doesn't it? It yeah. feels like. Now, if you look at some of the outtakes that are on YouTube, the, the, the team before Troutman was supposed to have been captured by this Russian hind mm. helicopter. And you can see how that would have interspersed in with this stick fight. But what they've done in the end is they've padded, padded it out with like a seven-minute credits bit. Um, Jerry Goldsmith, who does the soundtrack for this, it, it's all over the place at this point. So it, it really feels like the stick fight probably could have been better choreographed, speeded up, sort of Mark Forster, Quantum of Solace style, tighter, if, if it had been three minutes. Hmm. But they, they've dragged it out over six or seven until Rambo gets in the boat with the young Buddhist monk boy. Um, and, and Troutman's calling after him and he, he sort of sails back to his, his Buddhist temple and we've got a, we've now got to feel this backstory of this peace-loving psychopath who settled he's, in Vietnam. Exactly. And it, Thailand after his Vietnam outing. He's a cracking handyman. I mean, he's basically employed as a, mon- uh, a monastery, fixing the roofs and doing stuff that involves him lifting and anything that involves a, a little bit of show of muscle. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I guess you know, whatever skills he's acquired over his long career. But 
even so he, he's living in his monastery which you know is supposed to be the bastion of peace and tranquility that's 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 the really big because when credit turns up there because eight minutes um Troutman turns up at the monastery and john john rambo and, and rambo looks down from sort of bashing some gold leaf that he's he's wrapping around a, a buddhist tower and he says i don't believe this and he's like yes you do john yeah, yeah you do you knew they were going to come for you come on you knew this was going to happen one day you never get away from it and he's gone all hippie rambo he's got his mm. hair properly long hasn't he and he's wearing the sort of cat almost like a caftan cut off t-shirt <laughs> it's He's gone really, and, it, and it's supposed to be like the, the, as far away from the stick fighting Rambo. You know, he, he loves living in this monastery, and um, and uh, was it uh, Kurt was Kurtwood Smith, um, as most people will know, who played Clarence Boddicker in Robocop. Um, he's chronically underused in this film. And um, basically, what happens is uh, on ten minutes, he and Troutman turn up and show John Rambo loads of lovely, lovely Polaroids of kids that have been maimed by mines and toys that have been put out by the evil, evil Russians, because remember the message in 1988 is still Americans brilliant, Russians evil. Um, and they want to emotionally blackmail John Rambo into joining Troutman on this yet another suicide mission. And Rambo says, I'm not interested, my war's over. Kurtwood Smith delivers his own only real line, which is well, Colonel, it looks like we've got a one long walk down those stairs. Yeah. Think, well, that's a bit odd after all the kind of cult status he achieved after robocop and yes admittedly at the time this was made you know robocop probably hadn't really got its full grounding or anything but you know he's so distinctive in his way and the fact that i said when i watched it and and hannah was here yes they said he looks like a wrong yeah because there should be at some point, like we had with Murdoch in the second film, either he double crosses Rambo at some point or he turns out to be something crooked at some point. But that's it. All he does is literally tries to recruit Rambo there when Troutman gets captured, further down the line, comes back and tells him. And all of a sudden, and again, it's the whole Mission Impossible, you know, will we'll deny all knowledge of your existence. And that is literally it. What an absolute waste. Can you get me in? You're not serious. Oh, yeah, I'm serious. It can't be done officially. You make it unofficial. If it can be done, I want you to know up front that if you're captured, or if any of this leaks, we'll deny any participation or even knowledge of your existence. I'm used to it. Because, because a betrayal... A similar betrayal could have worked quite well there, couldn't it? That the mission mm. was a suicide mission from the start and Troutman doesn't know, you know, and, and that John Rambo wants to take revenge on the, the nameless CIA bureaucrat. So it's, from that point of view, it was really good casting to Kurtwood Smith, who, you know, the year before was pulling out hand grenade pins with his teeth in Robocop. <laughs> and then we've got this Troutman. Uh, and I, I like Richard Krenner, who plays Troutman. And I actually even don't mind him in this. He's pretty good in this film as well. Mm. But we get this whole full circle speech where he talks to Rambo about, you know, this, there was this sculptor and... Oh, God, he, the statue. And I wanted to throw up. But we're only 12 minutes into the film here. And I wanted to throw up at this point because it's like, really, are we going there? Are we? He's got to explain to him what he is again when we know full well what he is because we've just seen him stick fighting in a, in a, in a, in a warehouse in Bangkok. Full-blooded combat soldier. I mean, that, that story about the statue... 
And it was like, oh, well, you know, the statue was always there. I chipped away at the rough edges. Oh, oh, did, did you, I mean, my eyes <laughs> rolled up. It's at that point that you want to throw up and turn this film off. But, you know, we're going to persist with it. So off we go. Yes. Well, at this point, this is where, because Rambo has decided his war is over, he's not going to get on board with this attempt. Because, it's, it's again, it's that kind of brutal Soviet chief who's running this regime in this sector. We, we need to go and half remove him and half arm the locals with Stinger missiles. Yeah. And it's like, again, without knowing the time frame, Troutman has gone in with these local whatever. And, and immediately captured. <laughs> yeah, because he's the head of the elite. I mean, he probably should have retired 10 years previously. Yeah, I mean, again, similar to the premise of First Blood Part 2, if your best bet is of getting Stinger missiles to uh, freedom fighters is to send a full bird colonel who spent years in Washington on a Colonel North type mission, then really, really? <laughs> well, imagine if this film had gone from the original film, The First Blood, where Kirk Douglas was supposed to be playing Troutman. And imagine at this point, Kirk Douglas in 1988 going on a mission to arm local Afghans with Stinger missiles. <laughs> now, I'd watch that. Yeah. I mean, that's hot shots again, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Pulling handkerchiefs out of each ear. Like, so, yeah, so, so, so Troutman does go in, and we, we will suspend disbelief, but he gets mm. captured first time out, and then we cut back to John Rambo mending a wheel on a cart. Oh. Now, he, for, for reasons that aren't explained, after Rambo's turned down the mission... Griggs, the CIA secret spook, comes back. He's remarkably well-informed, Griggs, considering mm. that Troutman's only been captured. And he tells Rambo that Troutman's been captured and that they're not going to do anything about it. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I suppose as a motivational tool, that's the only way they're going to get Rambo on board. But again, you know, they've, they've, they've gone to Last Chance Saloon already. He said no. And now it's, oh, well, we'll go back to the well again. It's, um, I mean, it's desperation from day one. I think, um, again, it's that long walk up the stairs and everything. And this is the end of Kurtwood Smith. Yeah, uh, this that, is the last time we see him. He doesn't, it's, but he gosh. gets referred to once more. So Rambo says, what about me? Can you get me in? And he's like, if it can be done, it can't be done officially. And it's like, hmm. make it unofficial. If you yeah. get captured, we'll disavow you and did not, well, I'm used to it. And, and then we see Rambo in Pakistan, which is quite a hike from yeah. Thailand. It's about 4,000 <laughs> kilometres if you go overland. But, but he did it overnight, didn't he? Yeah. Griggs, yeah, he's done it overnight. So they've flown him in. Let's assume that they've flown him mm. in. But Griggs has flown his equipment forward because it's waiting for him in Pakistan, which is quite odd as well. Mm. So then we've got this um, quite good scene in the Peshwari market of John Rambo in a denim shirt. Oh, now, now he's wearing the outfit that he's in in the photo where Griggs and Trapman are looking for him. Yeah. They've also so, taken that when he's landed. Yeah, so obviously they've taken a photo in the future, which would have made a more interesting film. Maybe we've got Time Cop Rambo. And he walks into a shop with that sells lots of rifles and artificial limbs. And we meet a Afghan Roman, huge stereotype. <laughs> you immediately know that this bloke's a Roman. Yeah. Um, and he meets Musagani, played by Sassan Gabai, who is actually a really good character. Very good character. Um, I suppose as, as sidekicks go. Yeah, he's he's yeah. he's quite engaging. And again, you think, okay, 
all right, I'm going to buy in now. This this looks like a buddy film that I can get along with. Despite the tourist, you don't look like a, a combat warrior. Mate, he's literally covered head to foot in scars. Yeah. He, he looks exactly, and he's got a thousand yards there. So He looks like Sylvester Stallone, would he? He looks like a really, really top of his game Sylvester Stallone, so he does look like a warrior. And then Rambo underplays it and self I fired a few shots, you know, and, and stuff like that. And, and that doesn't really work for me. Um, and again, then the, they tried that in the fourth one, didn't they? When he was the boatman taking yeah. the mercenaries in Burma, he's like, Oh, you can drop the thousand yard stare and all that. It's like, yeah. he's this is obviously him trying to be low key, yeah, but not pulling it off very well. <laughs> no, but there, there is, I mean, uh, Musa informs Rambo that that Trout has been held in a fort 30 yards, 30 miles over the border, and then Rambo gets to unpack his kit. And there is one little bit in here, there's the blue light joke. Oh, um, yes which is a uh, uh, Rambo clicks a siloom stick and it goes blue. And he's, what is this? It's a blue light. And um, what does it do? It turns blue. Is this what you ask for? Yeah. Never seen these things before. What are these? Detonators. And this? What does this for? It's a blue light. What does it do? It turns blue. Quite well delivered. And I quite like that. And, and I thought, all right, we, we're going to kick on now. This film's going to be half decent. We've got a nice little buddy movie coming. And then Mushikani comes out with, by the way you look, I can see you have no experience in war. Mm. Is that what you see <laughs> from the way he looks? I mean, the weird thing is, I feel like we're robbed here of one of the bits in Rambo 2 with the montage of him sort of getting all his gear on. Yeah. And, and this is, you know, there he was glistening, you know, strapping all these explosives and everything to it. Now he's got a box of detonators and the blue light and he's got Musa with him who's acting like a child. Oh, what's that? What's that? What's that? Detonators. Oh, There's a really good... It, it, after he fixes the wagon wheel and obviously Griggs agrees to put him in, there's a scene that you can find easily on YouTube that's cut that would have made it a lot better where Rambo opens almost a footlocker and in the footlocker is his bow and arrows and some of the explosive arrows in the little case from first one mm. part two and yeah. he starts putting them all together while forging himself a new knife if you put that scene in it works a little bit better it flows a little yeah. better but it's been cut and we don't know why so we've now got Musagani and rambo heading over the afghan border and now we get a first look at colonel zyson played by mark leon um and i've just written he's no burkoff well, this is it. He is Aldi Burkoff. He's pound shop Burkoff, yeah. isn't he? It's just, okay, what was one of the best bits of the second film? Let's get him, but let's get this bloke. I mean, obviously Burkoff, for various spoiler reasons, cannot play the same character twice. Um, but, I mean, when it says a lot about the most interesting thing about this person is how the actor died. And I know we both screenshotted it. It's... <laughs> I mean, you, feel free to read it out. I, I mean, um, from Mark to Young, and this is terrible if you're a friend. Um, so of, stop, of Mark I, I, won't, won't, I didn't mean to laugh. his Wikipedia page, the actor forgot the keys to his Paris home on the 6th of June, 1996, eight years after this is filmed, and then decided to climb back into the building to get home. But after arriving on the second floor, he sits and suffered a fatal fall. He was 47 years old. Mm. Oh, it's probably think. a more noble way to go than the way he goes in this film, to be honest with you. But it's, yeah, I mean, we we see Colonel Zyson, and he's no, but he, it's not great. 
I mean, he's a French actor playing a Russian. He's not, he's got a lot of presence. You can see why the camera likes him. He looks evil. But it just feels really hackneyed and stereotypical. And we get another Americans, good Russians, bad speech from Troutman, who's now been captured. Look, you know, we had it at Vietnam. This is your turn. And again, your eyes start rolling. Well, um, he's gone full Trump at this point, hasn't he? Yeah. And, and again, um, Zyson's got his own mute beefcake um, sidekick, <laughs> uh, a sergeant called Kurov, who's a Spetsnaz sergeant. And mm. similar to the uh, mute Vinnie Jones we had in the last <laughs> film, we've now got a mute Ron Swanson. <laughs> I mean, this this whole sequence where they're having, it's supposed to be, you know, two people having a conversation over a chessboard because that's what you do in Russia. And it is, you know, like you say, it just ends in Troutman going full well, for Trump, to, to be quite frank, and the Russian to sort of say, I've given you the chance, you know, I'm, I'm offering you dignity and this, and it's just, again, trying to introduce that charming element to it. And, you know, because you can't, you have to, if you're a villain, you've got to have something about you, whether yeah. you're Burkhoff or whether you're Hans Gruber or Zorin in A View to a Kill or something like that. You need to have some presence. You need to have something about you. But... It's it's there, but there's nothing. To, there's no substance behind it. It's I've got Zeissen torturing Troutman with an air pistol, and Troutman name drops name drops Rambo, which seems an awfully dark because it's like because well, we know now that the 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 Afghani spy from the 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 landmine shop in Peshawar has, has said mm. that somebody called John Rambo is coming to rescue him, and it's. Um, but that it's, doesn't get progressed. It doesn't. It's just it's just like a load of unnecessary exposition. And it feels like it's trying to explain to the audience what's going on because the plot line's a mess. And that might be they have to explain to the audience what's actually going on because the plot line's a mess. Imagine feeling that when you're making this film, you have to explain it. Yeah. It's not that film that you get home after a couple of beers and it's on after match of the day. And you're sitting there thinking, oh, it's the blue light film. Here we go. Um, it's a tough watch this it's really really it's really laggy we're only half hour into the film now and Rambo and Ghani are, are just arriving at the Mujahideen village and we're 30 minutes in now I don't mind the village bit it's probably one of the better bits of the film and they take Rambo immediately to a field hospital don't they to crank up the guilt yeah just so that we know that we can justify now you know what what's going to come well, again, um, like like the second one, this is where they start. Oh, sorry, continue hammering home the politics. Yes, where you know, obviously, we had bits of it at the second one, including the the final speech, which was a work of art. Uh, and this one, it's like, oh, they use teddy bears as mines, and this it's like, okay, we, we know this. We've seen the adverts in between on on Channel Five, and this is where again, it, it, like you say, they they're just hammering it home, it's like. These are the good people. These yeah. are the baddies. That guy's Darth Vader, and we're Luke Skywalker. Have some of that. And that's how they introduce a character called Yuri, who's a Russian deserter who's joined the Afghani's, and he, he he kind of he's like Rambo's intelligence for this mission. And um, Yuri's quite a good character, and he's given a pre-op briefing with a little model on the floor of how the fort's <laughs> laid out. And again, Yuri seems remarkably well informed for somebody that no longer works there. Yeah, about where Troutman's being held. But then, what's this bit? I love this bit. Rambo chips in with an absolute fucking master plan 
to go in through the minefield because they wouldn't expect it. <laughs> the thing is, John, and you probably know this as a combat soldier, they won't expect that because nobody in their right mind would do it. Not in a million years would you voluntarily go into a minefield unless you were a mine clearer. And they sit there and the bulk of this plan, as we work it out, is to go in through the minefield and out through the sewers. Yes. Which is, I mean, I, again, sometimes you can't make design these things, you know, but we've, we're also at the point where while Troutman is being tortured and they're saying, where are these missiles in your ass? You know, he's dropped down to Jay from the in-betweeners. It, it, it really does feel like a million miles from the Troutman that handed Brian Dennehy his ass in mm. first blood on, on the opening engagement that he had with him. And it's like they don't realise they've got Richard Krenner and this... There was no nuance to it. There was nothing... Troutman was cleverer than silly schoolboy insults to, you know, holding out to torture. Yeah. I find that, that, that I mean, his character evolution, obviously he, this is his final Rambo film. But like you say, from the first film where he is this, you know, guy who's obviously overseen whatever operations and whatever programs they've got to make people like Rambo or sorry to to chip away the rough edges to unveil what Rambo's really like and he turns into a grunt um and over the film he becomes you know I mean we talked about in the, in the second film where there was a suggestion that Rambo would have a comedy sidekick well it's someone to bounce puns off which is what they end up doing in the third act of the movie and, and so badly as well. It's, it's almost like the uh, Trapman's character arc goes backwards. It descends into, it's almost farcical. Um, he, he's, he's probably playing a, a less credible character than he played in Hot Shots Part Deux. <laughs> Where he's essentially playing the same character. Yeah. <laughs> At this point, we meet Hamid, the kid, because there's always uh, a kid. Yeah. Short there's round a- type there's a kid who's clearly been plucked from some sort of model agency of get us a yeah. brown a brown child who looks yeah. good on camera. But he's basically Mowgli with an AK. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he, a, he tries to he tries to before they became fashionable uh, by yeah. stealing his necklace and his knife. <laughs> he's a proper um, little urchin, wasn't he? He what and, and he wants can I have okay and we get the first reveal of the Rambo knife in this film and it's just fucking massive. It's, <laughs> it has no practical use anywhere in the world. It's just huge. It's taking up half his thigh. And it, it's, I mean, we, obviously you've seen that I have the, the, the Rambo part two knife and it, it is an enormous knife, but this is almost three times the size of that. And it, it's just ludicrous knife. So we get our first look at that and we get a first look at a kid trying to steal it. And then on 40 minutes, Rambo is given Harrison Ford's horse from Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade and is invited to play a game of Bushkashi. Now, this feels like, I don't know if people know uh, are aware of Sylvester Stone, but he's a, he's a very accomplished horse rider and he played polo as a kid. I don't didn't realise American kids from New York State played polo, but that's... Really? Jack, maybe, Jackie, maybe Jackie Stallone, RIP, clearly signed him up for the right classes. But it just seems like a, a monstrously egotistical thing to put into this film just to showcase Sylvester Stallone stunt riding a horse 
And bear in mind as well, I mean, this game, this sport they're playing, because they talked about games and he says, oh, he plays football. And then there's the kind of joke that, you know, it would probably go down very well in England about, oh, you play with your feet. No, not really. And this game is essentially involving a dead goat and you do everything it's kind of like a, oh, maybe it's like polo with a dead goat. Yeah, it's, you do it's everything and say, fuck it. One circle, put it in the other circle, isn't it? I think yeah. it's a sheep or a goat. It's a something. It's a goat, yeah. It's it's it looks like that yeah. thing that Chewbacca um, tries to pull off the tree in Endor in Return of the Jedi. <laughs> yeah. It could be one of those. It, like a little pair of lips on a, on a pair of bagpipes. And this is one of those games that I suppose if you're Rambo, you can just pick up whatever the local thing is. But obviously because it's Stallone, topless on Indiana Jones's horse, he wins dead goat ball or yeah. whatever the sport's called. We do get a good line from Musagani in this, though, where he says, um, it's one of my favourite lines in this awful film, God must love crazy people because he makes so many of them. <laughs> Which I, I quite like. I will use that while at work. Yeah. Um, so we've got Stallone horse riding ego montage, but we're being interspersed with some helicopters cutting, some Russian helicopters, and they're en route to ruin the game of football. Well, it's taken 40 minutes. I mean, in this film, 40 minutes to get to the first kill. Yeah, but the yeah, baby was amazing. Oh, um, the Russians attack the game. Yuri, the Russian soldier that we quite like, who's quite an interesting character, is immediately killed. And the what well, the worst thing about this attack, as much as it must have cost to film it, is there's no tension in it because we're not far enough into the film to believe that anything will happen to John Rambo. And if for me, that that's why it doesn't work. If you're fortunate enough to watch this in the current day when you can just press a button that says, how long of this film is remaining? One hour. It's heartbreaking, yeah. isn't it? To think it we've feels, still got an hour feels to like go. An hour. Yeah. And again, it's just these helicopters flying around, shooting. I mean, if you, the bit in Full Metal Jacket where they're flying, where they're, the press on the helicopter and the fellas just shooting Viet Cong out of the helicopter. It's a bit like this, but from the other angle. Yes. They're probably playing a game of fuck the dead goat or whatever. And this helicopter's flying overhead. And um, it's just, you know, we, we've gone 40 minutes without a dead body. Fucking hell. They've really gone in on it this time. Yeah. So we've got helicopters strafing the village. I mean, they decimate this, this Afghan village. Um, and then Rambo mans the big 12.7mm DSHK machine gun to, to try and take them out. And, and uh, I've seen one of these fired and they are a beast. And then we cut to a scene of Rambo sad and reflective and dejected and dirtier, far dirtier than he was when the battle ended. <laughs> Pound shop Omar Sharif walks over to him <laughs> and we get another lecture. Twas death for our land and God is an honour. So, my friend, what we must do is to stop this killing of our women and children. If getting this land free so he can return to the free world and tell what happens here is necessary. Then, of course, we will help. And then he sends the little boy and Musagani to go with Rambo to rescue his friend. So despite saying they couldn't spare him any men, now that they've lost most of what they had, they're now prepared to give him some. Well, this is where we've had already when, as you say, Pound Shop Sharif, he's talked about all the things. And again, this is it's becoming a publicity war. He said, my people are being raped, they're being killed, the pregnant women are having their babies thrown in the fire, real charming stuff. Um, we must let someone tell our story. 
I mean, obviously this is in the days before Twitter, but, you know, get us some retweets, Squire. But he's going out saying about all this stuff and he's like, well, we'll help you because we need our stories. You know, where's the honour in war? And now, you know, it's not your war. And of course, this is a; these are all set up for Stallone soundbites that just don't pay off. Yeah. It's not your war. It is why, now. Why must you do this? Because he'd do it for me. Yeah. Well, I think we've shown quite clearly that Krenner, he might want to do it for him, but he probably couldn't. Well, he didn't, did he? Yeah. The first time he had a pistol pointed to him in the helicopter in Vietnam, they flew him home and he, he didn't actually go through with it. He wanted to go and get him, but he decided... Yeah. <laughs> Could have, would have, should have. So um, we, we're going to go into the fort through the minefield. And um, what you might notice here for for uh, is that Stone's coming through the minefield with a different knife. It's a lot like the knife in First Blood Part 2. And that's because at this point, they'd filmed this scene and they hadn't decided on the massive big knife. This is the first knife that Jimmy Lyle didn't design for Rambo 3. There is a Lyle knife that he's using going through the minefield, which is far more serrated teeth um, version that we've seen before. And by the time he's out of the minefield, it's back to the big, massive gollock that he's got strapped to his leg. So there's a there's a bit of a continuity error there where this film and and, and this is what this film hints at the whole way through any bit of tension of a, of a really troubled production. So he then ends up cutting barbed wire with his knife again. I don't know why he doesn't take a set of wire cutters because cutting barbed <laughs> wire with a knife seems like an awful lot of effort. Yeah. Um, and Hamid, the little kid, keeps watching Rambo as 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 he cuts through, and they go through a minefield and there's a bit with a grenade nearly getting done by a trip wire, but doesn't quite work. At this point, I noticed the soundtrack's all over the place in this movie. So it looks like they're nicking bits of soundtrack from First Blood and First Blood Part 2, and the Afghan soundtrack that was hinted at the beginning has, has all but disappeared. And I think, again, that was down to Stallone. He didn't like the sort of Persian, Middle Eastern Rambo theme, so he put the existing themes back in, and... It, Again, it's another thing in this movie. It just sounds like a bit of a mess. We're just missing Frank. Yeah. So we've got the three of them in the fort now, Musagani, Hamid, the, the kid, and Rambo, and they're planting... Musagani's basically planting explosives that he didn't know how to use. In He's, he's now <laughs> fully skilled on their use, and he's putting <laughs> explosives with 10-minute timers on every vehicle. We see more shots of prisoners being tortured by electrocution and flamethrowers. And then, for some reason, a T-55 tank comes into camp and Rambo inexplicably uses it to hitch a ride. That was the weirdest... See, he sort of drops down and hangs onto the underneath of it. Why? It, it only got him about 10 yards further from where he needed to be. You surely would have just let it go past, wouldn't you, and walk behind it? Yeah. It would have been a lot easier to... Nick a jacket, Indiana Jones style, and, and brazen your way. You're trying to get in. Nobody's expecting you to be getting in. It, it would be getting out would be the problem. Well, this is the thing. I think someone at some point has thought, oh, you know what would be good? And they've gone, uh, yeah, go on then. That I think that's literally the idea for that stunt is, uh, well, if he runs in front of it and drops and hangs onto a pipe. We can have a really close, tight shot of Stallone's muscles. <laughs> yeah. <hanging. laughs> And that's I, it. I think we know who came up with that. Yeah, yeah I think we know. I think we know whose <laughs> fingerprints are on that stone. So he gets in the fort and prisoners are getting shot and tortured. Garney's become an expert at planting explosives for someone who didn't know what they were 25 mm. minutes ago. And it, it just lacks tension. And then 
As he gets into the prison cell, he asks the women where the American is. Nice one, John. <laughs> this is and almost like a kind of mansplaining sort of thing. Yeah. Where is the man? I will not speak to you, woman. And based on the eyeball movements of a woman, he finds Troutman first time. First time. He's a, he's a killer with the women at old Stallone. Would he still be married to Bridget at this point? Eighty-eight. He may no, maybe maybe not. Maybe Jennifer mm. Flavin by this point explains a lot. It probably does. There are no women in this film. Those women are the only two, aren't they? And they don't speak. Well, yeah. they they do. They act with their eyes. So uh, this one doesn't pass the Bechdel test. <laughs> <laughs> well, no. Maybe they must have cut the scenes out where they're talking about sort of local politics or something like that. Yes. He, found, he finds Troutman, but immediately fails to rescue him. And there's, there's a bit of gunfire with some Spetsnaz commandos, but it's a bit random. And then he gets injured by an explosion, which sends a splinter of wood through his side. Hammond's also been injured in the explosion, and Rambo has to carry him into the sewers. And then we see the first use of the blue light. Reinforcements arrive to rescue Rambo and Hammond on horseback, and Troutman gets tortured again. And then Troutman does another piece of exposition to Zyacin, about Rambo will come back for him and God would have mercy with you, he won't. And it, it, oh. it, again, it, it's just, I, I want to turn the film off at this point. And most people most people probably want to turn the podcast <laughs> off at this point. <laughs> we're, not, we're just about halfway through now. And all we've, oh, have we had a positive word about this film yet? I don't, I don't Blue think. Light, there's a couple of jokes. I like Musagani as a character. Mm. There's been a couple of little jokes that have worked and there was a couple of setups. I suppose cinematography rock-wise, you could say the helicopter attack on the football game wasn't terrible. If, mm. if used properly, it could have been quite effective. It probably cost a shit ton of money to do. Yeah. Um, it's really well filmed, but it, it it's the lack of tension. Actually, where, where was it filmed? I, di- I didn't... Israel. To look at- Israel, okay, that makes sense. And, and I think some of the pickup shots, it was finished in Arizona, because Stallone yeah. couldn't be asked to go back there. <laughs> But it was Germany and Israel, because there's a really good shot earlier that we didn't talk about where four Israeli jets streak past and they get like a free mm. intimation that these are Russian jets. You know? Okay. So that's that's basically that. Is it like in Top Gun where they just call the MiGs? Yes. Yeah, that's yeah. absolutely it. <laughs> so Rambo and Hamid and Musa are hiding in the caves and uh, he tells Musa Ghani to take Hamid back to the camp because the little boy's injured. And Rambo takes one bullet from the AK-47. Um, we don't know why he's taken a single bullet. I'm sure that will have no bearing on anything that we're going to see in the next 15 minutes. We can't kill a child like that. I mean, you can kill a child with a teddy bear, but you can't kill a child that's had a speaking role. No, absolutely not. So we know Hamid's going to be okay. So he's taken the bullet to deal with his wound in the side. And it's almost like they feel like they've got to put the first blood sewing the arm up scene in here. Yeah. And they've got a trumpet. They've got to go <laughs> one better. Oh, so what we get is pull the stick out by pushing your thumb into the wound and then cauterise it by tipping gunpowder in and then lighting it with a, with a flame. I mean, it's Predator 2 style stuff, this. It, it really is preposterous nonsense, isn't it? This, this is part of the whole thing, isn't it? It's We've gone from the survivalist to the cartoon character. And I think at this point we now had an actual cartoon of Rambo. Yeah, there was a, there was a cartoon. Know, for kids, you know, um, aimed at kids, 
we'd had, I mean, Rambo 3, the video game was coming. And this is part of, this isn't the story anymore. This is the myth. And when we had the whole conversation around how different the, the fifth Rambo film was, and I can't say the fifth and final because they haven't ruled one out. And that the writer of the original book was saying, this is not the character I wrote. Yeah. And he's basically disowning his own creation. Yeah. I mean, we, we got to that point by the end of the second film, but by the third film, I mean, this is, you know, this is not someone who's struggling. This is someone who is essentially just trying to one-up himself every five seconds. Yes. And, that, and that's the problem with it. So now you've got, having failed to rescue Troutman and him escaping from the fort and cauterizing and dealing with his own wound, which, by the way, would be, you know, after you've done that, you're not walking anywhere. You, you, no. It's going to be painful. So we've got every Spetsnaz commando in Afghanistan looking for Rambo, who's now breaking back into the fort in broad daylight. He's not hiding behind tanks. <laughs> um, with, with some locals. And then we've got a cut scene of Troutman being tortured again. <laughs> He's taking a lot, isn't he? He is taking a pounding. He successfully rescues Troutman this time, and the women, and some of the locals, and we run to the helicopter, and the music's reused from part two from the rescue and escape at this point, and Rambo steals the helicopter. That was proper Matrix stuff, that was. It was like, can you fly that thing? We'll find out. And it's like... But not very long. Yeah. yeah. It it, it literally takes off with people on it and crashes it almost immediately. Um, There's a scene reused from First Blood Part 2 in this as well, where he jumps in the helicopter, he turns around and says, hold on. And Mm. if you look at the headband, it's the red one from... Okay. And it's it's, he's in the Huey. So it felt like they patched a bit in that it doesn't feel like it's essential, but it's exactly the same piece of dialogue and the same head turn. Mm. That, That was a bit odd. And maybe they had to crash the helicopter for that reason because they didn't get any enough inter- internal shots. <laughs> so they escape from the helicopter. The helicopter flies out the fort and then plummets almost down. You remember where the car goes over the cliff in Raiders of the Lost Ark? Yeah. It's almost like the helicopter goes over that same bit of cliff. And this is, I mean, there's, there's a couple of bits in there where you think this is it. This is the final end match where he's shooting the guards in the tower and his blood splattered on the camera. And then that's it. He crashes the helicopter again. This is, you know, we talked about they have they invested their time and money in multi-training all their soldiers to do everything? Clearly not, because as we've seen on evidence, he can't fly a helicopter very well. He keeps crashing them. Somewhere between breaking back into the fort and crashing the helicopter, he's found his longbow, which didn't come on the mission with him. So that's appeared from somewhere. Um, He must have had that in his pocket. Because he takes out a helicopter with it. In admittedly, what is quite a, quite a good shot. I mean, I videoed that and stuck it onto it just because I, I remember and the bit where he stood and fires this uh, this explosive arrow and the pilot flinches because it's almost like, oh my god, that's one of those exploding arrows. Oh, boom! At what point does he not go? It's an arrow. Ha ha ha! Fuck off. Yeah, and and then we've got Rambo and Troutman disappearing into the caves to be pursued by Spetsnaz and the start of about 30 minutes of jokes between Rambo and Troutman with shit punchlines. Mm. Re- some really bad... Was there a writer's strike on in 88? Either that or it was just Stallone having free reign again. How are you, Johnny? Well done. Ugh. If you... 
and there's the whole thing about being taught to avoid pain because they go back you know there's actually some callback to that scene where he's caught rising his own womb oh you didn't teach me very well no offense yeah don't take it it just so rambo kills a radio operator and delivers the um, your your worst nightmare line to Zyson before throwing down the radio. It hasn't got the tension of Murdoch, I'm coming to get you in any way, shape or form. And then we're just picking off Spetsnaz commandos, abseiling down into caves <laughs> with really scant attention to detail. It's it's not got any of the tension of the, the mud eye reveal in the previous film. No. Um, and they dispatch half a dozen Spetsnaz commandos between them escape from the hole, but Kurov, the mute Ron Swanson, is waiting for Rambo. I mean, I, I was kind of thinking about this earlier and thinking about the the hierarchy within the Soviet army and thinking about this guy's obviously got himself into a position of influence, despite the fact that he's probably brain dead and mute, purely because he is a large overgrown oaf mm-hmm. and he has to fight Stallone at some point. But it's a really bad fight. It's just a lot of rolling around on the floor. Bear hugs. It, it's like an Essex pub fight in Harlow on a Friday <laughs> night. There were some Not headbutts. It, it, it's, it almost, it's like everybody's phoning in this film. It just doesn't... Nothing. I think from the whole aspect of it, it's kind of... I mean, it must be difficult if you think, and the producers and, and the writers from the beginning, must have thought, we're onto a winner here. This is Rambo 3. It cannot fail. Yeah. But they're obviously thinking there is no way that this film will not be a complete and utter success. We just need more explosions and more Stallone. And more helicopters. Yeah. And so it is the equivalent of turning it up to 11. But there's nothing behind it. Why not just make 10 louder? Uh, I, I just don't see... That there is such arrogance there where they've had they've managed to get themselves sixty-three million dollars to spend on this. And this is what they've come up with. We've got bear hugs. I mean, admittedly, I did chuckle when big oaf bloke they, they managed to he pulled the pin out of his grenade, conveniently yeah. fell back into the hole and was dangling and then blew up. Yeah, that's and as a set piece on its own, that's not a bad it's, it's almost like a sort of live and let die sort of yeah, yeah, yeah. type death. We, we've talked about that before with the, um, but if you, in comparison with what they'd already done previously with Lieutenant Vin and the exploding arrow where he's firing the pistol at Rambo in the previous film and he really deliberately takes the arrow out the quiver yeah. and, 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 and pulls it back and you've got, it's great, but this, there's none of that. And it just, so many little things that could have worked better just don't work in this film. And when they get to the final bit where all the the tanks and everything's lining up against them, and it is that kind of last stand, it's Rambo and and Troutman there, and it's like, fuck them. They've got hundreds of troops there. Surrounding them's out. It it came out of a Christmas cracker, that one. It it is. So we've got that, but then the Rebels, it's almost um, very similar to the Living Daylights. Oh, that's exactly what I wrote. Yeah. Um, in the, the rebels, we've got more horses and helicopters. Effectively, could have done with a bit of "Where has everybody gone?" by the Pretenders and and a, and a cargo fight plane full of opium. Uh, with, I mean, this is the thing that I guess history has taught us about. You know, this era when 
obviously things look different in hindsight, but the living daylights portrayed the locals as in a certain way. I mean, and, and they filmed essentially the same battle, the same war, you, but from a slightly different that, angle. Um, because I, I assume that living daylights came out 87. So this would have yeah. been planned that when there's no way it wouldn't have got back to Stallone, that part of his next film had just been done by James by Bond. Bond. And it's like a, do you think the Stallone maybe had an oh bugger moment when when he saw the climax of the Living Daylights, or that all either that or he thought this was the preempting of the whole sort of deep impact Armageddon type. Well, we can do the same thing but slightly different. Yeah, but not better. <laughs> well, definitely. I mean, this was this. I mean, we had there got Timothy Dalton acting against Sylvester Stallone. I mean, that'd be a film, wouldn't it? It would. Hate to see that. I, but even the bit where Marianne Darbo um, cocks the AK and then gallops off on the horse is cine- cinematically better than Stallone covered in baby oil, riding Harrison Ford's horse one-handed and attempting to take out a tank with a petrol bomb. Mm. <laughs> it, it just feels like a massive, massive ego. Um, and it, it, it's, it's, it's just not feasible and it wouldn't... Well, the petrol bomb just glance off the surface of that, but... This is the thing, when you put the two films together, and again, even then, the, the Afghanistan scenes of The Living Daylights took up maybe a quarter of the film, if that, and against the whole thing of this, where, you know, that is done in a certain way. It's There's nuance. And again, yes, it's a Bond film. There's there's different things going on, but there's, there's nuance. There's a bit more of a understanding of both sides you know both there's motivation behind both sides why they're doing it in this it is literally good bad Mm. i've decided you know i i've taken a side i mean it would have been hilarious if you know and again in films when they bump into other films while they're shooting if james bond and that hercules had crashed in the in the distance while this is all going on or that bridge had been taken out that would be opium Oh, you see, just as just as Rambo's charging the tank with a helicopter, you see Dalton leaning out with his sandbag bomb, just about to drop <laughs> it down to destroy the bridge. Or what he actually the... does, he's manages to cut more rebels off from helping Rambo. <laughs> or, or Necros when he falls out the plane, lands on one of the tanks or something like that. Oh, that would be wonderful. That would be wonderful. I, I mean that that whole thing. I mean, I mean, bear in mind that part of the, again, Living Daylights was becoming that again. You know, there was a lot of story about opium which was a big thing and, and a lot of the Russian motivation for being there as well. And yet that word, there's no mention of drugs. But see, there was at least some nuance to that storyline in that as bad as the heroin trade was for the Mujahideen, you, you, you were at least able to, uh, I forgot his, uh, I forgot the character's name, but he at least made a justification with, I don't care whether the Russians die by my bullets or their opium. Yeah. And and there was almost like a sort of, there was a bit of nuance to the story. It was quite a clever story, but this isn't clever. And what we're building up to is is Rambo going to drive a tank into a helicopter? I can't I can't even dress it up as anything other than what <laughs> we ended. It it's mental. It's not even well shot. Nobody survives that. He doesn't get out of that tank. The pressure from no. that part, he, he doesn't come out, and he yet and yet he does. Fairly unscathed. After pretty being much, shot in the leg as well. Pretty much unscathed. Mm. Um, and I, I find the whole thing interesting about how 
he's playing this game of chicken and we've got far too much build up of shooting and missing your target I mean, that's, that bit seemed to go on for about four minutes where they're building up to it and turning around and shoot, shoot, miss, miss. And it's like, oh, come on. Yeah. You know where it's going. You do know where it's going. They're going to crash a tank into a helicopter and they don't, they don't even do it well. That's, that's the real problem. And, the, and, and once they've done that, they kind of wrap the film up really quickly. Mm. Now, it's a largely... In Stallone's defence, he pulls it round with Rambo, the fourth film. The fourth film I really like, mm. the Burma one. I really like it because I think the character had been away for 20 years by then and he knew, I think Stallone knew that Rambo 3 wasn't a good movie. And I'm not here to talk about Rambo 4 because it didn't get a Betamax release because it's not in the 1980s. Well, it's I a, mean, it's, it's eligible a, it's for a entry into the canon and finishes yeah. off the story quite nicely. Oh God, I wish they'd let it finish at that point. <laughs> You know what we need is much like Rocky Four, we need a director's cut that Stallone's going to come back to in the in the you know twenty twenty and come back and there must be a robot they can remove from this or something like that. Yeah, I don't feel that we've got the film that anybody wanted, Stallone included. It really does feel like a cobbled together. It, I can't put my finger on why I didn't like and I. And I didn't like it when I was 16. It, it's kind of like, it's like the Robocop 2 of the Rambo movies. It just didn't work. For- See, the weird thing is, though, having watched Robocop 2 within the last year, Robocop 2 had some bits of it that weren't bad. Yeah. I, I'd almost equate Rambo 2 with Rocky, uh, Robocop 2 and then Robocop 3 with Rambo 3 because Robocop 3 was toilet. Right. Whereas I think Ra- Robocop 2 was okay it was nothing anywhere near the first film but it was actually in parts not bad from the director of the empire strikes back very much and never say never again (laughs) so apart from the empire strikes back has irving kirshner ever made a decent film never say never again as (laughs) Um, he did the the eyes of laura mars did you see that uh faye dunaway and i think it's tommy lee jones Right, which I remember seeing once and finding it really weird. I was, I mean, say I need to watch it again to say if it's any good or not. But um, yeah, maybe you should have come and done a Rocky or Rambo film. I, I, I'm glad that we've ended the 99. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry for anybody listening to this podcast. Uh, if you haven't seen Rambo three, don't. Is the, is the only thing I could really say. It is so bad. It's really, really bad. It's a terrible movie. And and it's not one that when it comes on ITV4, I make... I, I mean, you pick up five minutes here and there. I'd, I'd be interested to hear from people that do like it. I'm mm. sure there's some fans of it out there. Oh, there will be. I know it's strange. I mean, I, I mentioned, because I actually had this on DVD, and I remember I've had it for so long, I bought it in a Woolworths. Right. In Islington in about 2000 as part of the trilogy. And I, again, and it yeah, was one I owned it. Mm. I owned it on Apple because it, it is part, it, it, mm. and that's how I watched it, you know, last night. To, and I'm not sure why I own it. If I, it, it, It's like we said before about the, the, the Rambo. It's, First Blood is a far superior film to anything else in the canon. It, it's a standalone Man with no name, Sergio Leone's fake Western. It's an absolute masterpiece of a film. And it's a film that showcases Sylvester Stallone as a really good actor 
um, like Copland does. Um, and uh, possibly Creed 2. I like Stallone yeah. and Creed 2 a lot. Mm. I like Stallone and Creed and Rocky Balboa, yeah. actually. In fact, I love the Rocky. I love the Rocky series. <laughs> I say it fine. I love Stallone because of Rocky. You know. But Rambo 3 is a is a mess. It's an absolute mess of a movie. And it it was a slog watching it. it I, I, it's not something I'm going to go back to. No. And I think this was part of an issue. Again, you know, we're talking late 80s when there was this whole Stallone-Schwarzenegger kind of rivalry going on. And Schwarzenegger was diversifying a little bit. I mean, 1988, yeah. Twins came out and we were kind of leading up to Terminator 2, which was enormous, whereas Stallone was still trying to find something that wasn't Rambo or Rocky yeah. that was kind of his. And I suppose with, with both films, Rambo and Rocky, the first film was so good. And in the way that Rocky, yes, it's a massive misstep with Rambo, uh, Rocky Five, And a lot of people I know don't like Rocky IV. I love Rocky IV. Sorry, who doesn't like Rocky IV? You need to unfriend these people immediately. No, they're not friends. And then you have Rambo, which again went down a similar road. They've got the original character and then taken it in a completely different direction. And and again, in, in recent years, have tried to take it back to where it was. But I just find it strange that Stallone had this ego that was fueled by the fact that he'd written the first films of those sequences yeah. and was allowed his ego to get out of control. The, the release of Rambo uh, and Rocky Five there's only about 18 months between the two. So he was obviously working on Rambo Three and Rocky Five at the same time. And both of those are poor showing. I think Rambo, uh, I think Rocky V's box office showing reflects I think Rambo still did good money based on the fact it was a Rambo film. Yeah. Um, which probably papered over a few cracks as far as the studios were concerned. But then Stallone brought, because he wanted to invest in the time in writing Rocky V, he brought John G. Alvidson back to direct it, the director of the original Rocky. And again, Rocky V's just a it's so bad that when he did Rocky Balboa 16 years later, the events of five are pretty much not referred to in any way, shape or form, are they? No. Yeah, it's, it's odd. So I, I, I think you'd probably, if you went digging around of, of, on Stallone's personal life from making Cobra, so I think he split up with Nielsen after they made Cobra. Cobra okay. came out sort of 86, didn't it? Yeah. And I think from there, until he meets Jennifer Flavin just after Rocky Five, his personal life, his ego's out of control. There was a few, and, and the films that he makes are toilet. I mean, you've got Tango and Cash, Lock Up, was that? Lock Up 90? was pretty bad. Tango and Cash was another massively troubled production, wasn't it? It was like they were mm. making three films at once. Yeah. I quite like it. Same, same. <laughs> I like Tango and Cash. I didn't spot how bad it was. Um, until repeated viewings, having been told it was bad. So for, for, for me, Tango and Cash worked. The, you know, I like the Rambo as a pussy line. But I don't like Rambo 3. I never did like it. And it felt like a straight-to-video Rambo release. And I didn't get to see it at the cinema. It was an 18 and I was 16 at the time. And I waited patiently for it to come out on video. And I remember going down to the corner shop because I knew the corner shop were going to rent me an 18. And, <laughs> and I took it home and watched it on a Saturday afternoon aged about 17 because it probably came out early 89 on video and I was just I remember the disappointment of of like is that really it 
is that, is that what we, it's, it's a real shame. I'm amazed we've potted it really, because it's, it's, it's an hour and 40 minutes of utter toilet. with, with I'm nothing if not a completist. This is okay. a, some people's generation's version of the Phantom Menace or something like that. But yes. Yeah. Maybe we will have to come back and do the fourth or fifth one for a Patreon for a bonus. Yeah, yeah I'd, I'd, I'd do both of those. They're, um, they're, they're, linked, they're linked to 80s films. They'll do. Yeah. There's a flashback <laughs> scene. There's a flashback yeah. scene in Rainbow 4. So of course. You could justify it because you get a bit of Krenner. Yeah. I'll get Hot Shots part two in there as well. Yeah, absolutely. Bonus Rowan Atkinson. Well, as poor as the film was, it's always a pleasure talking about it. But yeah, well, thank you for bringing this Betamax copy. And, um, you can keep yeah, it, mate. You can oh. keep this one. I'm not taking it home with me. It's yours to keep. Well, I was going to chuck it straight in a bin, but that, that can go with the uh, the copy of Superman 4 that you know I have. So <laughs> At least I like that film. Well, Simon, as discussed previously, um, that was Rambo 3. Where can people find you on social media and what sort of stylings can they find? I'm on Twitter pretty much 24-7 talking about work and dogs that I used to own <laughs> and films and crap films and watching telly. That works for me. So, um, and I'll, I'll link to that on the show notes. Um, now as discussed and, and is a complete tradition on the podcast, the song that was number one when this came out in the UK, we're talking the 26th of August, 1988, The Only Way Is Up. Well, yeah, which... Um, Sums up the film, really, didn't it? Pretty much. <laughs> Played it over the end credits. It might have been a bit cheerier than "He Ain't Heavy, He's My Brother." That would have worked if Troutman had turned out to be Rambo's long lost brother, wouldn't it? Well, he couldn't. Something had to. Nothing else worked <laughs> in this film. Is it wrong that when that came on and I couldn't remember, I, I thought, "Is that Frank Stallone singing?" Yes. <laughs> anyway, Simon, thank you very much. Been a pleasure. is brought to you by executive producers Keith Foster, Jimmy Fletcher, Mark Drakes, Matt Cunnington, Christian Dees, Chris Hopkins, Omar Zambon, Ian Madrell, Catherine Lowe, Mark Makin, Zoltan Vargo, Simon Smith, Wayne McNally, Darren Hodgkins, Dan Wellington, Alex Heal, Philip Rothenberger, Adam Fewings, Tom Carr, James Kennedy, Simon Pegg, Joe Harrison, Anita Singh, Jason Clarkson, associate producer Chris Oakley. Visit patreon.com forward slash Betamax Video Club for more information about bonus episodes, early access, discounted merchandise and more.